From points across California, you're listening to the Disneyland edition of the Diz Unplugged. Welcome to the Diz Unplugged Roundtable Discussion Disneyland Edition for the week of August 30th, 2012. I'm your host, Tom Bell, and I'm joined by our Disneyland team, Nancy Johnson, Wayne Toigo, Mary Jo Malata-Willy, and Tony Spatel. In this segment, Wayne is going to talk about his recent visit to Club 33. Tell us about it, Wayne. Several weeks ago, I had the great privilege to go to Club 33 with my Diz friends, Jeff and Stacy Jovanello. It turned out to be a pretty amazing evening, and I wanted to share with you some of the highlights as well as some of the insides of this very unique location. As many of you know, Club 33 is a private membership-only club located inside Disneyland. This was the dream creation of Walt Disney himself, and its roots go all the way back to the very beginning of Disneyland. Club 33 is located in New Orleans Square and occupies the upper floors of what appears to be the shops all around the square. The entrance is cleverly hidden right next to the Blue Bayou, but most of us Disney fans know where that secret door is with the 33 located above it. On this night, the three of us had dinner reservations at 7 p.m., and even though most of that day we were touring around Disneyland and California Adventure, the entire day was filled with the anticipating anticipation of the evening's activities. We left the parks a bit early to go get freshened up and change into our evening attire. Club 33 does have somewhat of a formal dress code for evening meals, and we all wanted to look our best. Well, yeah, going to Club 33, you kind of want make it, to make it an event and dress up a little. Indeed. It was a little strange walking up Main Street in our nice club. <laughs> <laughs> But maybe from time to time, you too have noticed folks who are dressed up somewhat and are a little out of place for a theme park and have wondered, what are those folks all dressed up for? We headed up to the famous door, and Stacy opened the little flip door and rang the doorbell. The door opened, and a nicely dressed gentleman opened the door and politely asked, May I help you? <laughs> Jeff proudly stated, Jovanello party for 7 p.m., the doorman replied, Please come in. We've been expecting you. Aww. We entered and began what was to be a very wonderful evening. But before I go any further, let's take a look at how Club 33 came into being. Where this somewhat mysterious club came from and how did it become what it is today? Well, to understand that, we have to go all the way back to the beginning of Disneyland, back to 1955, when Disneyland first opened. In 55, on Main Street, there was a little meat market, grocery, deli kind of store called the Swift Market House. It's right in the location where the market house is today, 
and it was sort of a general store, a la the circa 19, or rather 1890s period. It was typical of the kinds of buildings that were on Disneyland, on Disneyland Main Street when the park first opened. Also at that same time, at the very end of Main Street, was the Red Wagon Inn. Now the logo for the Red Wagon Inn was derived from the Swift Meat Company, which was also a sponsor of this location. Now later on, the Red Wagon Inn would become the Plaza Inn. That's the location we're talking about. And also, you're probably familiar with the Red Wagon Corn Dogs truck that's sitting right there beside the Plaza Inn today. Well, Swift Meats had regular delivery service, and they were the first ones to use trucks rather than horse-drawn carriages, hence the name Swift. So there's your tie-in to the Swift Market House and the Red Wagon Inn. But also, Swift had the Chicken Plantation Restaurant, and that was located in the Frontierland section of the original Disneyland. Now remember, Frontierland originally spanned from the edge of Adventureland all the way around the rivers of America back towards where Critter Country is today. So the Swift Chicken Plantation Restaurant was located right at the end of the river. There's sort of a tie-in there, the, the plantation at the end of the big river in Frontierland. And you may have noticed this was a chicken restaurant. Uh, that was sort of popular down in Southern California at this time. Mrs. Knotts had opened her chicken dinner restaurant in 1934. This was 1955, and Walt was going to have his restaurant also. And again, this was all way prior to New Orleans Square, but the chicken plantation restaurant was themed to make uh, themed to the New Orleans theme. The chicken, by the way, the chicken plantation restaurant lasted from Disneyland's opening in 55 through 1962 when it was closed to make room for the Haunted Mansion. Okay, all of that's fine, but why am I telling all all of this? Well, hang on and you'll see. The Red Wagon Inn opened with the park in 1955 and was popular enough to require several expansions. During that first expansion, which was in the late 50s, Walt had them add a private dining room that was not open to the general public. Now later on, we're going to skip way ahead here, later on in 1965, Swift's 10-year sponsorship, that ended. And at that time, they expanded the Red Wagon Inn again, and that's when the name changed to the Plaza Inn. Also at that time, they even enlarged that private dining room. This is, this is the room where Walt enterti- entertained VIPs before Club 33 opened, and they also served alcohol. 
So Walt had this idea for a private club almost from the inception of Disneyland. He liked the idea of having an idea, uh, uh, having a location at his park where he could entertain important guests and sponsors. Now let's rewind a bit. 1963, the Tiki Room was opened. At that point, we brought in audio animatronics, and the real expansions for Disneyland had really taken off. They had started the Haunted Mansion. The facade was going up. But by 1964, all of that kind of came to a halt. In 1964, the New York World's Fair started. And Walt visited the New York World's Fair because he had several attractions there. And while it was going on, Walt noticed that the GE pavilions and the Ford pavilions, they both had private VIP clubs. He only had the one-room apartment in Disneyland and the little, you know, private dining room. But what he really wanted was a nicer place to entertain with snacks and a full bar and a really class joint. So when they came back from the World's Fair and work got going again on Haunted Mansion and the rest, that's when work on New Orleans Square resumed. Remember, at this point, Chicken Plantation Restaurant was now closed. New Orleans Square was being imagined, and all the work on Pirates and Haunted Mansion and what Disney called the Family Compound, which would later be what we know today to be the Dream Suite, all of that was being worked on. It was at this time that Walt also started plans for the VIP Club, which would one day be known as Club 33. New Orleans Square opened without pirates in 1966. But then, Walt Disney died in December of 66. This was very traumatic for the Disney management, but they wanted to continue Walt's vision. They wanted to continue his vision of the time and press on with the park plans. So Pirates opened very shortly after that in March of 67, and then Club 33 opened just five months after Disney's death in May of 67. Now, at that time, after Club 33 opened, that's when Imagineering turned all of its attention to Walt Disney World, and Haunted Mansion actually didn't open until 1969. But by then, Club 33 was operating, even though Walt never got to see it, and New Orleans Square was open with the rest of its attractions also. So now let's take a look inside Club 33. While they were traveling in Paris, Walt and Lily saw an elevator at a particular hotel there. Well, there's a great story about how Walt talked to the hotel owner and actually tried to buy it. He talked to the owner and, you know, he was going to just take it right out and put it in his club. Well, the hotel owner denied it. And Walt decided he was going to send his Imagineering, Imagineers to Paris 
to take photos and do drawings, and they brought all of that back to California, and they essentially copied the entire elevator, and that's what's in the lobby area of Club 33 today. Additionally, on the second floor, there's a telephone booth. Now, a lot of the decorations, or I should say some of the decorations, came from some of the various activities that the Disney Corporation was doing at the time. There was a popular movie in 1967 called The Happiest Millionaire. And the telephone booth was from that movie and was put in as a prop on the second floor, which greets guests as soon as they come up the staircase or take the elevator upstairs. There's also an ornate walnut table with a a white marble top that's right in this same area. And guests may recognize that that table was used in the movie Mary Poppins. In fact, there's a famous scene where the the admiral shoots off a cannon and everybody has to grab the falling uh, furniture from all over the room. And there's a shot of that table in the movie, and you can now see that in the second floor of Club 33. We had talked before about Fess Parker and his involvement with the Disney Corporation. Later in life, Fess Parker opened a winery, and that turned out to be one of his side uh, side ventures. And in the trophy room, there is a display case which features an autographed wine bottle of Fess, Fess Parker, along with a number of other artifacts like an autographed ro- uh, rifle and several other things that Fess contributed. The trophy room is a side dining room adjacent to the main room, which is also used for entertaining and today is used for very large parties. The the interesting thing about the trophy room is it was originally envisioned to have a small animatronics show there. And many people talk about the creatures that live within the room and all, all over the ceiling. The most popular character there is a vulture who was supposed to address the guests and talk to them either during the show or during this special little show. In fact, there were also microphones installed in the chandeliers near the tables, and the rumor was that Disney was going to kind of listen in on the conversation so they would know either what the guests needed, if they needed their bread basket filled or their wine glass filled, or... One of the other thoughts was they would listen in for little conversations and find out that today was Johnny's birthday or whatever, and then at some point during the little mini-show, the vulture would pipe up and say, and I understand a little birdie told me that today is Johnny's birthday. Well, the vulture and the trophy room show, none of that was ever really hooked up, but you can still see remnants of all of that today. The microphones are still in existence, and the cast members do say that Walt had a hand in uh, engineering a lot of this, but they also say that a lot of it was never, never hooked up and never operational. Now, one of the artists... One of the Disney artists who was responsible for a lot of the design and drawings of Club 33 is named Dorothea Redman, and she is a pretty famous Disney legend. Along with um, Emerald Curie, they helped design Club 33. 
In fact, Dorothea is responsible for coming up with the theming of the inside of Club 33. She made the drawings of the overall environment. It's sort of a Napoleonic Empire period. It's very unique and quite stylish. Emile was an Imagineer who worked on 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, He also worked on the interiors for Walt's apartment and lots of the Main Street shops. Emile Curry, along with Dorothea, worked on all of this together. Emile executed the interiors based on Dorothea's artwork. In other words, he selected the furniture and the wall coverings and the paint schemes and the lighting elements based on the designs that Dorothea did. So the two of them are very important in coming up with the look of the inside of Club 33. Both of them are Disney legends. There seems to be a lot of mystery around the harpsichord that sits in the transition room between the entrance area and the main dining rooms. It's a lovely instrument and absolutely gorgeous. It was rumored originally to have been an uh, antique, and there's also a rumor that says it was custom-built for Lillian Disney specifically for use in Club 33. But the most reliable information says that it was purchased and bought by the Disney company about 20 or so years ago for use in uh, in Club 33. The underside of the harpsichord has a very ornate design uh, on the lid, on the underside of the lid to the harpsichord, and it's sort of a Renaissance-style painting that was done by Disney artist Colin Campbell. The harpsichord was in disrepair for years, but recently has been restored and is now in excellent condition, and I know this from personal observation. And there are a whole lot of other things, too. There are chandeliers and lamps that feature Tiffany crystals. There are real antiques from Lillian's collection throughout. Uh, There was also, Lillian had um, a butterfly collection, and there are... There are some of her butterflies uh, in the trophy room. There's also, I understand from the ladies, that the ladies' uh, restroom has a rather unique feature with a (laughs) wicker-based toilet that's inside, and I guess a lot of folks love to see that. But contrary to that, in the men's restroom, they have one of those old-fashioned overhand tanks where you have to pull the chain in order to make it work. We could go on and on with all kinds of information about Club 33 and the things that are in there. It is rather unique. It is kind of artistic. It's it's a very definite look to it, and it enhances the experience that those get uh, that people get when they do get to visit it. So back to our our evening. Once we were greeted by the doorman, we got inside and they checked our bags and then ushered us into the elevator, which was kind of neat. You mean they held your bags, not they didn't search your bags, right? Correct. Okay. <laughs> uh, we, we had been in the parks, and even though we had gone back to change a little bit, uh, we were all still kind of carrying stuff around, but no need to carry that to the table. 
they do kind of like a little coat check, but in this case, they'll take anything that you want to, you know, not have with you and check it for you right there at the door. At the top of the stairs, we were greeted by one of the head hostesses and escorted us to our table, which was all ready for us and properly prepared with the correct number of place settings, everything all ready. It appears that reservations are staggered so that you never have a bunch of people waiting in the lobby area. When it's your time, you get a personal greeting and everyone in the restaurant knows that you are coming and that it is you that you're coming. So you really do get a first-class reception. We were very fortunate that because of our the number of folks in our party, we got ushered to one of the smaller tables in the corner of the main dining room. It turns out that this was a very special table. This was the table that Lillian Disney used for many years as her personal table when she visited the club. And so that was very special for us. Our waitress came over and gave us our menus, and you know what? In the excitement, I can't remember if it was Tammy Joe or Terry Joe. I've forgotten what the name tag was. But one of the most unique things about her, she was absolutely delightful, and she was wearing this very distinctive Mickey service ring. We asked her about it, and she showed it to us. It was a 20-year service ring, and it turns out that she had been working in Club 33 that entire time. Wow. That was pretty special. Those are really cool rings. I actually know somebody who has one, and it's I it was so nice because they put a they put the Mickey emblem right on the top and then mm-hmm. the year of your service along the side. And I understand some of the other ones are just as special, but yeah, that was that was a treat to see. It, isn't it still nice that there's a company out there that still does that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. Well, absolutely. Um and you know, it's not only is it great, but when you ask the cast members about it, they are so delighted to tell you the story. And this is what starts building the experience. Mm-hmm. So cool. We got our menus and we got the wine list, and Jeff selected. One of the Fess Parker Chardonnays. This was from his collection, and it's only offered in a couple of places. You can get it, I believe you can get it at Napa Rose, and you can get it at Club 33. And I will attest that it is. You wouldn't think that a movie star wine would be that exciting, but it was very good. It was very, very good. They brought us a little bread basket, which was very good because I didn't get my afternoon Carsland snack. <laughs> so we were enjoying that while we were looking at the menus and chatting. The menus do change from time to time and seem to seem to evolve with not only current tastes and styles, but also the season of the year. So we're in late summer, and so things, I believe, tended to be a bit lighter. Um, I found the menu um, interesting to look at because of the selections that were offered. 
a very simple menu, really only two sides. They had a soup and salad, kind of like an appetizer course to select from, and then they had the entrees. Fancy to be sure, and and very involved, very definitely gourmet style, but definitely simple. So the... As we're looking at the menu and chatting, this is really leisurely service. Our server comes over with a surprise. Help me out with the pronunciation. Name. <laughs> okay. A mousse this bouche. Is, or whatever. Yeah. This is a French term which literally translated means mouth, happy mouth. user or happy mouth. Yes. yes. It's an amuse bouche. On mousse bouche, thank you. Um, oh, those are yummy. In school too. Mousse bouches are wonderful. This is almost like a pre-appetizer. It is okay. a single, bite-sized hors d'oeuvre that is the chef's creation. The functional role of this thing it could be played by um, a rather simple offering such as a small plate of olives or a small crock of soup. It often becomes a showcase due to its artistry or the showmanship of the chef and is really there to kind of, it's like introducing the chef. Hi, this is me. This is the kinds of things that I can do. We had a blackberry gazpacho in a tiny demitasse cup. So this was this was like one little sip with a great big blackberry at the bottom. Served along with a small, small portion of a lemon sorbet with garnished off to the side a raspberry foam, a, a raspberry froth. All of that on just this tiny little plate. And at first, you know, if you're not used to this kind of stuff, you're kind of going, well, what is this? I didn't order this. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that was the thing. It's um, th- This is the special thing. This is like the chef's gift to you. And it's it's a very good introduction if you're not used to this kind of dining for what what you're going to have because this is all about flavors and pairings, things that go together, and different kinds of tastes which you may not think go together, but are specially blended to create something special. So all of that, as I said, was complimentary by our chef, which, uh, if memory serves, our chef that night was Marcel St-Pierre, and our general manager that night was Jeff Cosmas, I think is how you say his last name. He's been the general manager there uh, for for eons, for ages. And um, he comes by every once in a while just to make sure everything's okay. And it's always a treat when someone like that comes by your table to check up on you. So we ordered our appetizers, which is the soup and salad course. And we're looking through the menu. And Jeff and Stacy, they decided to select the seared dayboat scallop with king crab sobis, which they reported was just great. Now, I have the menu here, 
and it's <laughs> it gives a description of it. And all I can say is all of these appetizers are they're very special. They're not exactly your cheese and crackers or your nachos. <laughs> this is this is mm, something nachos. a little bit unique. Now, do you know what makes a Devot Scallop a Devot Scallop point? I don't, but if you do, I'd love to hear it because it looked just excellent. A Devot Scallop is um, what's... Well, the reason they call it Devot is it actually came from somebody who went out that same day and oh, fished it oh, so and fresh. brought it back. So it is the freshest you can possibly get. They're often larger scallops. Um, so it's not a, it's not a variety. It's a description right. of the scallop. Okay. It's it's basically the freshest type of scallop you can get, and it, it was caught that same day. Jeff and Stacy were both raving about this, and this was this was just the appetizer course, and they were wow. um, they, they they really enjoyed it. And it's it comes with a number of little garnishes off to the side. Um, that that enhance it too. They have a number of different small appetizers each with, with each menu, and and the selection is, as I said, quite varied. For example, they had a simple corn bisque, they had a white and green asparagus tasting, they had a simple lettuce salad, they had a American Kobe and a caviar dish. And I was having a little trouble deciding which of these I wanted. And our waitress said, well, we do have one hidden appetizer item. And I said, yes. And she said, in fact, because it's Mickey, you might see, think that it's a hidden Mickey item. We all <laughs> This was a special off-menu Caesar salad. And I love Caesar salads, almost any variety. I definitely have a partiality to these. So I ordered that. Served very simply with a great freshly made dressing. It was wonderful. So already we're starting off very, very nice. For our entrees, Jeff and Stacy chose the Moroccan spiced top sirloin lamb with a spinach side. Again, they mm-hmm. said it was absolutely wonderful. Um, the title of the dish threw me a little bit because even though they use the term top sirloin, that's referring more to the cut regardless of the type of meat, which I didn't know because this was a lamb dish served with a few other items off to the side. Among the other items that they had available was a braised short rib, a marinated duck, a Columbia River King salmon, Chateaubriand, a couple of vegetarian entrees, a blackened redfish, and the item, believe it or not, that I got, which was a twice-cooked chicken. And it wasn't a regular chicken. This was like a game hen. It was served with orzo rice and had a little fruit chutney off to the side. Mm -hmm. Again, everything wonderful. And one of the other things that was kind of surprising, let me just throw this in there, 
is we've all kind of heard that it's really expensive to eat at Club 33. Well, it's not like going to, you know, not like going to McDonald's there, but the prices weren't really as bad as I had, as I was anticipating. The most expensive entree was the Chateaubriand, and that was going for $53. The vegetarian dish was going for, I think it was $39. So the entrees were, again, fairly reasonable for the kind of restaurant that this is. But, but you have a minimum, correct? There is a minimum for each person. Right. Attending Club 33, yeah. and in general, I think it's you have to spend per person what the day price yeah, ticket is currently. at Disneyland. Yeah. So oh. that explains why brunch is 99. Exactly. Yeah. Figure if 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 park admission is 89 dollars regularly for Disneyland, you're going to wind up spending about 100 bucks a person, no matter how you look at it. So order that appetizer. <laughs> you might because you're gonna pay for it anyway. Yeah. Well, how many ways can I say that dinner was wonderful? But <laughs> dinner was wonderful. It was excellent. And as like with most of these kinds of dining experiences, the portions are presented in a grand, elegant fashion. I'm sure you've all seen the cooking shows, the Food Channel shows where the presentation on the plate is half the experience. It's it's almost like a work of art. But you're going there for dinner, so you at least want to be able to enjoy your meal, and the proportion size were surprisingly large. I had no problem finishing, but I was nicely full with my entree by the time I was finished. Jeff and Stacy commented the same thing. The proportion size that they got was more than adequate with the combination of the appetizers we had up front and with dessert on the way. We had no problem being quite sustained uh, by the time we were finished with dinner. One of the great things about dining at Club 33 is you're right in New Orleans Square and if you've noticed where the club is located, the main dining room is directly above Cafe Orleans. If you can picture that restaurant, there's a balcony right above you there. Well, the doors open and you are allowed to step out onto the balcony. So in between our dinner course and dessert, as we were all still chatting and allowing things to settle... We all stepped out with our cocktails onto the balcony. Did I mention that the Fess Parker wine was lovely? <laughs> and right at that time, everyone had assembled for Phantasmic, and just as we were out there, Phantasmic started. And nice that timing. was a real treat, too. I won't say that Club 33 is the most excellent place to see Fantasmic. I mean, the landscaping has grown up over the number of years, and it's not exactly the best view, but it's certainly one of the nicest ways to see Fantasmic. Sipping wine out on the balcony, it, it, oh. it's pretty special. It is pretty special. Yep. 
I think the experience of standing out there in the evening drinking wine and watching the people enjoying Fantasmic, that would be fun for me. Do any of the rest of you remember what you had for dinner or breakfast or lunch or whatever you had when you were there? I, Mine I last... can't remember. Goodness. I can't remember either. Which is, I don't know if that's a statement about the restaurant or not, or just my memory. Oh, I had this excellent, um, I had this excellent, was a sea bass on, or a halibut on top of this, um, sweet corn pancake kind of thing. And it was wonderful, and of course, a nice creamy sauce. Creamy buttery sauce. I think when I went at, one, at lunch one time, I had the uh, had the Chateaubriand, this the steak. It nice. just occurred to me. Yeah. It just occurred to me that I had that file up when I was looking through pictures yesterday. <laughs> Let me find that menu. <laughs> but like you said, the menu changes, so it, yeah, it, it does. Well, still, you know, there's cause, always because yeah, it hasn't or... it hasn't been but a few months since I was there, and and I don't recognize. Yeah. The menu that you're talking about, so it may have I'm changed since May. I'm not sure how often the, the menu changes, but I have an idea that it may change as often as once a month. Yeah. But don't quote me on that. Yeah. But, but, I, they, but they always have... change weekly. They know? always have the Chateaubriand. And also, from what I understand, um, lunchtime often includes a buffet. Yes. They set up this transition mm-hmm. room between the entry yeah. area and the main dining room with serving tables and have a full-blown buffet set yep. up. Which- Lunch is, a, is the flat $87 and includes the buffet, uh, appetizers, your, your plated entree, mm-hmm. and then a buffet dessert. Yeah. The dessert buffets are very sweet. Yeah. I personally like their um, their cold their cold board on that um, because the cold board often um, has lobster and yeah. crab and shrimp and as well as a mix of salads, some very nice mixes of salads, um, cheese tray, etc. If you're there for brunch, it'll have smoked salmon, um, and then they also have soup in little small demi tosses. So it's just the right portion of whatever soup they're serving for the day. The, I went to brunch, and the cold table is what I remember. I remember the salads. For some reason, I, I don't remember exactly, but I remember them being really good. I didn't have room for um, most of the desserts. I think I took one bite and went, uh. Okay, I remember a, nice. a lemon cream puff that was out of this world. That's and so they good. and they had cut off the top and made it into like a little the shape of a little bird. Neat. Yeah. Well, speaking of desserts, after Fantasmic was all over, we came inside, and we weren't the only ones to go out. We had quite a little party out there on the balcony, which was kind of nice. We got seated again and looked over the dessert menu and. My head is spinning after this amount of time, mm. and I don't even remember all... And half a bottle of wine. Sorry. Well, that too. Um, <laughs> and I, di- I, I, I remember thinking, wait, this isn't the cruise. I can't order one of each. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but you could, but... I could. Well, Stacy decided on this wonderful coconut cake, which just looked heavenly. It came with, uh, you know, the little drizzles and everything. And she said again that it was just superb. 
Jeff and I ordered the same thing, and this was a double chocolate mousse cake mm. with a freshly made, on-premises made, cherry vanilla sorbet. Ooh. Heaven! Mm. Died and gone to heaven. This was excellent. Um, there was nothing about this meal that wasn't fantastic. Everything about it was uh, it's so contrite to say, but it was absolutely wonderful. The dining experience was fantastic. We were enjoying dessert and talking, and uh, on my recommendation, we also ordered a port. Jeff and Stacy had never tried port before, and really? I had been here with that from some friends of mine. I love port. So, it's it's really special, and I thought, what what a perfect setting for that with our dessert. So, uh, in fact, our our hostess uh, helped us with the selection of exactly which one. So we had that with dessert, and we're chatting and talking. And the second fantastic! <laughs> oh my gosh! And remember, we had seven p.m. dining reservations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the thing, the other thing I was surprised at is I was expecting this place to be packed. I was expecting it to be very full, especially for a summer, uh, for a Saturday in the summer. And there really weren't that many people. Um, I would say there was maybe four, maybe five other tables filled, um, but a very subdued atmosphere. Very. Very quiet, very elegant. <clears throat> By the time we were all done, we had spent four hours there. We were walking out at a little after 11 p.m., just just beaming from the entire experience. And we basically closed the place. We were we were one of one other couple. We, we the last time we were there, we closed the park. It was a grad night night, and Neat. so by the time we were done. The park was filled with with high school kids, so they actually one of the waiters walked us out to the to the main entrance to make sure we got out safely. I guess. Fine. I would re- be remiss if I didn't share with all the podcast lin- listeners one other little extra piece of magic that happened to us this evening. I don't think this is going to happen to anyone. This was this was unbelievably right place at the right time. For those of you that know Jeff and Stacy and who maybe were on their ABD adventure last year or know Jeff some of Jeff's interests, you may know that he is he's a keyboard player. He mostly plays the organ, but the harpsichord is a keyboard also. And he was standing beside the harpsichord as we were walking out, looking enviously. I don't know how it happened. I don't know how one thing led to another or how the conversation happened. But the next thing I know, Jeff was seated at the harpsichord and give us, giving us a little rendition of, wow. I, think it, I think it was the pirate's theme. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff. It sounds great. I, as I said earlier, I know the harpsichord has been in disrepair for a number of years. I did talk to one of the folks there who said 
they were in real confusion as to what to do about this. On the one hand, they wanted to preserve it the way it was when when Lily was around, when when the club was at what they perceived to be the heyday of, of all of that. And on the other hand, they had this excellent instrument that just needed a little bit of tender loving care. And I guess they decided to go ahead and refurb it. From what I understand, they gave the insides a complete overhaul. And I'm here to tell you, it sounds excellent. What I'm hoping they will do is maybe find some way that maybe every night they can bring someone in to play it or something. Because it would be a real shame if that instrument went unused because it really is special. An amazing evening, to be sure. So, the question you may be asking after all of this, well, how can you see Clover? <laughs> well, it's a little tough. There are three ways that I know you can gain access to Club 33. The easiest one is you can become a member, and we have recently reported that membership initiation and yearly dues have increased substantially. But that's the easiest way to get into the club. You can be an invited guest of a Club 33 member, and that takes a little a little dealing with because you have to know a Club 33 member, and that isn't always the easiest thing to do. And the last one is on very special occasions, you can receive a special invitation from Disneyland management. And I suspect that if uh, Tom Cruise wants to go to Club 33, that's probably how he gets in. <laughs> But there is a couple of other ways that you can do it. <clears throat> As most of us know, on the Adventures by Disney Backstage Magic Tour, lots of times, not guaranteed, not all the trips, but lots of times, a breakfast at Club 33 is included with that tour. I know that's a big gamble to bet your whole experience on that, but trust me. That's almost as much as the membership, isn't it? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Actually, no, not anymore. Okay. Good <laughs> initiation dues is well into five yeah. figures now. Yeah. And that's just that's just initiation, never mind the yearly. Yeah, yeah. Then you still got to pay for your food. And you still got to pay for your food, which, as I said, is not not as outrageous, but it's not exactly a trip to Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> we had a, a occasion to go in there. They had an event where we could see um, three of the nine old men, and it started with wow. breakfast at Club Thirty Three. Nice. Yeah, that see, was special. That's actually one of the other things I was going to bring up is pay attention to what's going on because every once in a while there are these special events that happen that do include Club 33 as one of the venues. Mm -hmm. It doesn't look like they're going to give full-blown tours to Club 33 like they're starting to do with Walt's apartment anytime soon. After all... This is kind of a special thing. This is a corporate deal. This is a this is a privileged uh, a benefit for those that want to be part of the VIP club in in Disneyland. 
I do understand that, and help me out here, guys, one of the new Disneyland tours that they just started does include at least a view of the lobby. No, the, actually, the existing and then the revised Walk and Waltz, Waltz, Walk and Waltz Footsteps tour gets you into the lobby. Thanks for that, Tom. Yeah, I knew yeah. there was something yeah. in there. Other than that, start asking around and find a member. So say you got $87 burning a hole in your pocket and membership isn't a problem. Would you go to Club 33, Napa Rose, or Steakhouse 55? Boy, this is, this is a very good question, and I have seen a whole lot of discussion on this. I think the answer is you have to go to 33 at least once in your life. You have to go to Napa Rose at least once in your life. Mm. Steakhouse 55 isn't that hard to go to any time. I think if I had to choose, if it was my one and only time, if I was going for the experience, I'd go to 33. If I was going for the most excellent meal anywhere, and I think, when did I do my review on this? A year ago or maybe a little more than that? Napa Rose is still one of the most premier dining places on Disney property, on on the Disneyland Resort property you can get. And that's the great thing is they're all a little bit different. So, And the, the best part about Napa Rose, too, is anyone can get a reservation there. Right. Now, I did, I did Steakhouse and Club 33 within days of each other. And the thing is, I remember... What I ate at Steakhouse 55, but I don't remember what I had at Club 33, which is kind of weird. I I can completely understand that. Um, I had to talk with Jeff and Stacy again <laughs> afterwards about. Please help me remember. Right. I, I'm I'm a blur from what, yeah. from that entire evening. And thank goodness for a, f- a few research sites which helped me find the menus and such. Um, it, it is more getting to see, getting to see the insides, mm-hmm. getting to see all the things that are that are there, getting to getting to be a part of the history that's there, especially, and just the experience of this this genre, this 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 uh, mystique that's grown up around Club Thirty Three. It was an amazing evening, certainly a once-in-a-lifetime for most of us. Mostly, it was wonderful getting to spend this experience with my friends. That is what really made it special. We all have our Disney moments, but mostly, it's not an attraction or a show or even a very special meal that you remember. It's the folks who you are with. And the experience that you all shared together that makes it special. That is what makes it magic. So thanks, Jeff and Stacy. And I hope that all of you find the friends that you too can share your special Disney magic. That's really what the Disney experience is all about, isn't it? Excellent. Thank you, Wayne. Nice. Uh, that is going to do it for the segment of the Diz Unplugged. Be sure to catch our other shows, our other Disneyland shows this week. We'll be back again with you in two weeks. And I, I keep trying to think of something to to end the show with, and I think I'm gonna 
I, I think I've decided I'm going to go with Disneyland is for sharing. Just I've, I've said that before, and Wayne just brought it up again. Disneyland is for sharing. Thanks for Perfect. listening.